0: 28. Episode 28. Featuring 28. Chris Freeland. Chris Freeland. Let's go in. Tight Zone World. My guest this week is my good pal Chris Freeland. The man behind Beat Baby's studio. He was one third of the band Oxes and he's been a part of many other tight musical endeavors over the years i was real glad to get his perspective on things down to tape i think it was a tight interview before we kick it off um i do want to remind you all that this wrap around robin tour is coming um 60 day tour pasal easy jackson pt burnham and be Rich on Selected Dates. And please do check out this website to see these dates, wraparoundrobin.com and get involved as well. Hit us up if you know people that you think should play or if you want to play. Um, we're really kind of like curating the bill for every show ourselves. and And we want your input if you're friend or a fan or whatever so that's that this episode is hosted by splicetoday.com real happy to be up there we recorded it at the lineup room check out lineuproom.com check out the studio and the art with which my man mike riley went buck wild this week is by mike riley comics check him out MikeRileyComics.com Let's, Let's do it. Do it. It, would,
1: it would have to be riding around in the car with my dad. Um, He always had really good tastes in music, so we were... Growing up, we were listening to stuff that's I still really like today. He was a like big Talking Heads fan, and we would listen to yeah. a lot of Devo, um, and uh, Joe Jackson, and... Frank Zappa and Fleetwood Mac and he he had a pretty pretty wide range of tastes so yeah. um yeah it's pretty simple like that and and then of course there were instruments in the house and even though he didn't play a lot he would just like mess around on the guitar here and there but it was a pretty easy leap from just listening in the car to seeing a keyboard in the house and being like oh a to b the
0: first time I Remember seeing people just playing music in a house was actually seeing you and Mark and your dad on bass. What? Yeah, it's like it's just a crazy thing where he like filled in for a minute. I can't, I cannot even picture my dad playing bass, but it was pretty shocking. He, <laughs> he, he seemed to be holding it down.
1: He has this one. I would love to like get a guitar in his hand again because he has this one riff that he just i just remember growing up like and he would play this little lick yeah and it was his it was like his thing and it was like a song that he like didn't write for more than 10 years so and i can't forgot i have heard it a zillion times i can't remember
0: how it goes but but what was your what was your first entry into like a to b like playing music
1: it is as simple as hearing Nirvana. That was, I mean, yeah. that was it. It was like basically hearing Smells Like Teen Spirit. And the, my first ever playing, like playing with other people in any sort of significant way was me and Mark. Me and Mark and Zach, Zach Poff, yeah. and this other guy. And we were just in his attic and we just played Smells Like Teen Spirit <laughs> probably like 10 times and oh, that was wow. it that's all we that's all we had and that was the that was my entry to playing music with people and that was i guess like hearing nirvana was the first time that music seemed i i didn't know anything about the guitar but i knew that what they were doing wasn't rocket science yeah, and it, it all yeah. of a sudden seemed where like growing up listening to you know my dad put on frank's Zappa. i would listen to that and be like that's like so unattainable but if yeah. you listen to nirvana you're like oh it's I under- I yeah. know what's going on. You hear it, and you totally. can just, like, picture it happening. And yeah. so it's, it's really easy to start playing guitar, and you get results really quickly if you're trying to learn a Nirvana song. Totally.
0: At what age did it form into, like, an official band?
1: Oh, man. Um, let's see. Seventh grade started taking lessons. I think Mark and I uh, were taking lessons simultaneously. But, he, I mean, he was such a savant. He was so good yeah. so quickly. Um and let's see, I don't think actually there was like a period of really funny time where Mark and I were like wrangling over our friends Zach and Trevor, who was like Zach was playing bass and Trevor was the drummer. Yeah. And we both kind of wanted we both wanted the band. And I, I think I think without they,
0: each other in it? Yeah. I
1: think we were both, (laughs) like, for a long time, there were, like, machinations. (laughs) Uh, I don't remember all the detail, all the ins and outs of them, but uh, it was, looking back on it, it's just funny. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, because they had, they were much further along. Like, Mark was always a great player. So they did 60s Day. Do you remember 60s Day at Catonsville Middle School? They played that, and they played, like, "Indagata DeVita, and, like, they were a cover band, and I just remember being... And then that band... I mean, that was all the way back in 7th or 8th grade. Yeah. And they also... I also knew they knew how to play, like, Enter Sandman. I remember going to see them at, a at a at like, a backyard barbecue, and they played Enter Sandman, and they sounded great. And I was... I don't think I'd ever been more jealous. I oh. think that was, like, the absolute peak of my jealousy. <laughs> it was, like, these guys are in a band. i It was just something that it like clawed at me in a way that I don't think I'd probably dealt with before or since yeah. that that wanting to be in the mix like that yeah. was a, a an insane magnet um but I don't think I, I to succinctly answer your question I, I don't think I had ugh, I don't think I had what I would call a band until tequila mockingbird and that was ninth grade yeah i think uh freshman year was when we got together and did a little four track thing that's tight and that was without mark and then mark mark and i finally uh convened in a more permanent way uh in like sophomore year so okay. we were we were like by the time we were 15 we were like together
0: together yeah this might come as no surprise but my first like besides like Seeing these spin doctors at Meriwether Post Pavilion. (laughs) (laughs) My first, or this might have been before that. My first show was seeing Tequila Mockingbird. Nice. Not the loft, right? No, at uh, a bar in like Sweebo somewhere. Oh, okay. It was probably moms.
1: Or mothers. I can't remember. I think it
0: was like a weird, I think it was during the Sweebo Fest. Uh, Oh, okay. Okay. you just got put in some random... Mm It was, it was I, rem-
1: like a I remember that show, and I remember thinking about that show. I remember hearing we got it booked, and I thought of, I dreamed about that yeah that one show for months, like three months. All it was all I could think about. Yeah, I'm, I miss that obsessive, <laughs> the obsessive stage of it mm. a little bit. Yeah, in some ways I'm glad it's gone, but in other ways it's just like really could sustain you. You could like yeah. you could like eat. You could like eat thinking dreaming on something as as well as you could eat a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> you got if you have something to compare something to it's different. If
0: totally, you have if you
1: got totally. like I had nothing to compare that first like Sweebo Fest show to so I was like will it be in like an arena or will it be <laughs> right,
0: in, like right,
1: right. <laughs> will there be like crazy lights like there yeah. was, there was nothing there was you know there's no average so right, it was right. like it it was free to be the best thing in the world.
0: But at that time, because I, I remember you guys rocked, like, a long set, like, which I thought it was awesome, like, like, you already had, I feel like you played, like, it wasn't these covers, you played, like... Yeah, we, were, we 12, did originals like, from originals. the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know, like, other bands that, that were, like, doing stuff that way? The
1: band that we, like, looked up to the most was the Banthas. Yeah. That was, yeah. I, I think one of the guys was from... Um, John Reinhardt? John Reinhold I can't remember all names the names now. I remember um uh Nat yeah that like three of them went to school for the arts and one of them went to Catonsville. and so and the guy who went to Catonsville was a little older but Zach knew him somehow. So we actually borrowed their four track uh, to um okay. to record um and we would go see them and you know that like that was the greatest I like I love so many local, but like Pedge fucking mm. love I don't know do we curse on the podcast yeah. we, oh, we just let it rip, okay, yeah. I love Pedge and the banthas and you know if you're a if you're a young guy in a young band, you you know find people really quickly to to look up to, yeah, and just like glean whatever you know if they're if they're just on like step C and you're on step a, they seem like the most worldly, oh yeah, people. It's funny because uh, all my Ellicott City friends talk about all of the the Ellicott City bands. I'm just like, who? What? Who what cares? Who were they? I can't remember. Like Mustard Seed Magic and oh, House okay. of Plaid, and uh, but they're all bands that they played like different church basements. Right,
0: so, right, right. <laughs> and then I guess the move from there was Yard Sale, of course.
1: Uh-huh.
0: and like, I guess that's kind of an extension of. Yeah, it's ba- I mean it's basically yeah. the same
1: thing except for. Um, I guess I started doing the vocals, and then Mark came in and played guitar. Um, but yeah, it was just pretty much more of the same. Yeah, then we did I think two more records, and then and then high school ended. Is
0: International Soundscape International Is that the the first band from there?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was um, our the drummer Trevor. Um, he had to leave the group. And then we got Will Redman, who still plays with Mark in Micro Kingdom. and such yeah. a fantastic drummer. And that was a really fun band. It took such a weird arc um, that we kind of even weren't... I certainly wasn't ready for it. Um, like, we started out with these sort of weird... It was a lot of far more instrumental and, like, weirder song structures. And we definitely got into, like, like weirder time signatures. And I, I think we were too... I wouldn't call it prog because we didn't it didn't seem that way but it was prog progier than anything we had done before and then that morphed really quickly into a, a very strange band and yeah got a lot of noisy elements and and by the end it was like very experimental and very improvisational um and then mark and i just sort of conked out and started oxes because we wanted a band that was like structural hmm. again
0: well where did that Element come was was it Will bringing that Will Will the and
1: and Zach definitely more so and I was like along for the ride like yeah I, I think it was also when I started at UMBC um I got into the new music ensemble like right away that was the first I came in someone on a music scholarship even though I didn't have any um theory behind me or anything mm. like that and I don't. And I think all music majors had to be in an ensemble of some sort. And since I couldn't read music, I was sort of... They just kind of threw me in the new music ensemble, which was the best thing that could happen because I got exposed to all these, you know, John Cage and all this kind of far out thought on music and, you know, using noisy elements and all this stuff, which is still, you know, I mostly work on some kind of pop music nowadays, but knowing all that stuff was, you know, really... Influential, oh, so yeah. it was around all of us. But Will was definitely farther along in that sort of line of thought, and Zach was—I know Zach was definitely did not want to do anything that was close to pop music. Mm. So they really pushed the the, the weirder elements. Yeah, I, I feel like, but Mark—I mean, Mark and I weren't resistant. But by the time it got to the end, it wasn't—you know—I think Mark and I were both ready to like do oxes and throw down mm. on something that was a little more. Um, focused
0: I remember that That band really got I think locally A, a kind of good amount of attention mm-hmm. And like you guys were just older And kind of doing bigger things So it, like I thought it was wild Because it would be like These like Kind of Kind of like Well attended shows Like at the, like The church where you would set up shows And everything uh-huh. And like In the suburbs And then The crazy art performance and, like everyone's
1: kind of like huh <laughs> like, you know. yeah i mean there were like you know there was fire and like definitely yeah art performance it was it was definitely got theatrical
0: yeah
1: um by the end and they just got pretty noisy yeah i felt like we spent there was a period of time where we were like a pretty concise band very musical band i'm um, not saying musical saying like like noisy or stuff isn't music but right. it got more theatrical and it was like it was totally fun for us like it was fun for me and uh, i yeah. realized that there was something that other people could connect with out there but i also felt like we spent you know we spent some of our credits making music to make theater like right, like right. Like, we, like we people were still coming to the shows in some senses, expecting something that we were no longer even going to hint at delivering.
0: Yeah. yeah. So. Did you feel like that band made a lot of friends in, like, in like the Baltimore scene of that
1: time? Yeah. I, f- I feel like that was the first time that we uh, had the. Ch- I think we were old enough to get into some clubs, and right. Like, that was right when Michael Bowen opened the auto bar. Mm. And that was. I cannot overstate like how important that was because yeah. we would, pl- we start playing there. We started, you know, we would meet people and, um, get connections from there. And that was like when the auto bar first started and I, st- I think I started working there almost immediately doing the door. Yeah. And that was just such a great, like, you know, zero ground zero for a lot of, weird stuff so, because it wasn't just music like Michael was doing these bizarre he did did you ever go to the death of vaudeville nights
0: I always saw those flyers when
1: there they were these like amazing things and I, I feel like I performed at almost every one and it was people just doing these weird performance art things and I, I made a lot of my friends that I still have to this day through seeing you know people come out and do this like freakish one-time performance that's yeah. just so bizarre and it was great because th- those nights were like a glimmer into, you know, I- I've got friends who I feel like I'm very close to them largely because I saw like a three minute, oh yeah, they, they were like dancing in a bikini made out of like strip stakes yeah. for three minutes. <laughs> right. And I'm just like, that's a part, that's a part of you. <laughs> That'll always be a part <laughs> of you. And we're, you know, feel a connection from it. Yeah. Um, more so than if I was just like, I feel like even more than the music show, the music shows were great for like forming connections, but those death of vaudevilles were just like, Oh, you know, that was the first time I had like a window into a freakier Baltimore. That was not all music, Hmm. but even though it was like a lot of musicians,
0: is that, is that where Jeff Danik set himself on fire for
1: (laughs) (laughs) that? You know, I was remembering that anecdote and I, I think it was a death of vaudeville, but it might've been a, I mean, he, like, Michael had so many crazy nights. He had, like, a towel fighting, he had, like, a routinely towel fighting night. He had staring contests. Oh, yeah. He had the drunk talk show. It might have been a staring, I mean, Jeff definitely set himself on fire some night when I wasn't there, and I really regret it. <laughs> I left, I think I left early, because I got in a fight with my girlfriend. Mm. Um, but, it, I mean, Jeff was definitely set himself on fire one of those nights. Yeah.
0: Like, yeah, when did this Oxus start? Like, 99
1: 90, I think it started like the very beginning of 99 maybe, or like the end of... Maybe the end of 98? God. Uh, I think that... I mean, the first time we ever got together was definitely in August. I think our yeah. birthday is like Madonna's birthday. I remember Nat and Mark telling me that at some point. Oh, cool. I think it's like August 14th maybe was our first practice. And... But then I think... No, no, because I remember we had a button that said "Wireless since '99." Mm. We were like super driven in a way. Like Nat, Mark, and I were all were the the three most driven people in our in any of the groups that we came from. Yeah. Like we just wanted to get on tour immediately, and we basically did that. Like we were, I mean, almost from our first practice, we were ready to. We were like ready to go. I think we had we started in like yeah august 98 and then i think we were on tour to chicago in i think in january of 99 we went on tour to chicago i don't mm. know why we thought going the
0: to yeah it was a
1: great idea but um yeah that that started really quickly
0: mm. and like yeah and i would nat probably be the guy that already knew yeah more he had, he had yeah. contacts
1: um i mean we were like he definitely did the most of the, um, managing the band, yeah. uh, in terms of, he, he had more infrastructure than we did, but, you know, I was calling as much as, as anyway else, like calling to, to, um, book, you know, book stuff and oh, yeah. and whatnot.
0: Did you have a record out on your first tour? Like, like that seven yeah, inch? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. we had
1: the seven inch. Yeah. We did the seven inch at the UMBC studios. And, um, yeah, we got it pressed through Reptilian. And things, ha- I mean, things happened so quickly. I think, mm. you know, I don't think we had the 7-inch yet. I think we had a tape with our four-song, it was like our four-song demo um, from that era. And then we went on tour selling tapes. I mean, this was like, this was so long ago that we did okay selling, well, people are selling types tapes again, but right. there was a, there was a valley... For your history, there was a valley where tapes weren't. What's up? So we we were selling tapes for five bucks or whatever, and gas was so cheap. Like, I mean, I remember there were so many times we could go to North Carolina, play a show, get a hundred dollars, and it's like cool. We paid all the gas by a long (laughs) shot. You know, it would be like, you know, it was nothing. It was just nothing to go anywhere because it was it was so cheap. I don't know how how bands get started these days, but. I mean, we went to Chicago right away, and I think it was like right then that someone in Chicago wanted to put out an EP, and then um, we, and then I think Reptilian, and I think we paid for it, but Reptilian put out the seven-inch, and then I think the record was was only a year later. I I think it was within a year that Monitor was just getting started, and they came up to us at a show at the Auto and We couldn't have been more than. We, we could not have been more than like eight months into the band. Yeah. And they um, wanted to put out the record. And I think we recorded in December 99. That was the first album. Wow. So, yeah, it was like looking back on it's it shockingly quick. The, yeah. start, the, start, the band started very, very quickly.
0: You guys get respect in the, your initial period for from like the influences of Ox- like this Don Caballero and stuff like that.
1: I don't I don't know. Yeah. Uh I mean they were definitely like one of the bands that I admired so much. Yeah. I thought I thought they were just amazing. Um but I don't know, we didn't have a we didn't have a relationship with them. I think we you know, one of the first shows we ever played in Chicago the first show we played in Chicago was with them. And I was like, We've made it it was like our sixth show. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, it doesn't get better than this. Yeah. Um But yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say they were like our peers or anything. Right. Like Shellac really took us up. That was oh, the yeah. that was the band that that we played some show with them and they saw us and were kind of like, come, come with us. Mm-hmm. They and they took us under their wing and a lot of good things happened for us because shellac was looking out for us but mm. i don't have mean maybe u.s maple i would say like i i i am like tickled like I, i'll email with todd ritman from u.s maple every now and then mm. talking about recording stuff and that is like i'm not a starstruck person but he's a he's a celebrity yeah, to me like u.s totally. maple is i mean they're like a once in a lifetime band and it
0: totally it, it,
1: it just kind of blows me away
0: I feel like they're a band... I have trouble getting people into them now. Uh Uh-huh. Because I feel like part of the amazingness of them was listening to it and be like, just chaos. And then, like, (laughs) seeing it and being like, it's exactly the same.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're they're like a 3D... One of those dot 3D pictures where you... I remember remember playing that record with Mickey in the car because I saw them um, with Nat's other band. And I didn't get it, but... You know, I was younger and I was a far more patient listener. So I got the, I got the CD and I just list, I remember listening to it five times and I was like, I don't get it. And I listened to it 10 times and I was like, there, there's something there, but I still, don't get it. And then I listened to it 20 times and I was like, oh my God, they're like, they're geniuses. And they, but it takes, I don't know. I wish everyone had the cuz I don't I don't have the like if the next US Maple came through the door I don't know if I'd have the patience to be like 20 listens of the whole album but right 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 um but they're well worth it.
0: Yeah. So how was this first record received?
1: You know Oxes was always easy. Like it was it was always like I mean I you know I record all these bands and talk to bands about how the business is and blah 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 but i can't i literally can't answer the question of like how do you get people to pay attention to you because that was something like oxes didn't shoot for the stars we weren't like about to we weren't going to have like a singer like a top 10 right but we wanted to do as well as we could do in our era yeah um or in our in our world yeah um But it was, like, really easy. Like, we started, and from the start, we had all this... You know, all the, like, the weird performance stuff that went back through ISI and the theatery aspect of it, and then Ox's was high theater. Yeah. And, you know, we had our gimmick from, like, from early on. I felt like we were doing really good music, but if you wanted to... It, it was so e- like if a band if you can point to any band and be like they're the band that does this, people remember that. Yeah, and we were a we were like a band that does this. It's like the guitar players run around and right, the drummer right, right. leaves the drum set and goes around, and it's you know it's a while we create like a crazy situation where things can happen, and that yeah. was very exciting, and it was something that was exciting for audiences too. So it, it was actually kind of there's actually kind of two stories here, like. Ox's live was always easy. Like yeah. that there were always people at our shows. We had once we actually got going, there were very few dud shows and I felt mm. like we had a pretty quick um like we would reach flashpoint in towns pretty quickly. Like we would go to Providence and maybe play to like 10 people and then the next time we'd go those 10 people would have brought a lot of people. Yeah. Where I feel like that process if, if that process is just based on the music and you don't have like a crazy stage show, that process is like slower for some groups. Our gimmick had free space in it, which was awesome. Like we, the thing was like, they're crazy. You don't know what's going to happen. And because of that, we could go, you know, we played in Boston a dozen times. Like we played in Chicago 10 or 12 times and people kept coming out because it wasn't like, this is when Nat stands on the monitor. This is when Mark does this. It was like, it's always different. It was, it was always going to be different every night. The flip side of that is, um, you know, our music was, (laughs) if you take the music away from the show, it was at times like challenging and dissonant and weird. So we weren't like selling, you know, there's, there's two sides of it. We never had a bad shows really, but we didn't sell a lot of records. There's a lot of, there's a lot of bands that sell a ton of records and those records live forever. I mean, if you make a classic record, it's, classic it's a classic yeah. record forever um but divorced from our show our records d- sold fine i mean they kept us afloat but they didn't um you know it wasn't it was kind of one or the other i feel like we knew we kn- this is an expression I've never understood, but I use it even though I don't understand. It's like, okay. like he knows what side is bread's buttered on. <laughs> Have you ever heard that expression? Yeah. Like, I think we knew what side, like, I didn't need, something was, wor- it was clear that something yeah, worked in the band totally. and, and people connected with it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, if the, if the critical claim was like particularly good or particularly bad, it didn't. Yeah, you know, we all believed in what we were doing, and we yeah. thought we were doing something really cool. And I liked, um, I certainly enjoyed the musical aspect of it as much as the performance aspect. So I didn't, I didn't feel like we were. I feel like there. I feel like I've seen bands that have covered up horror music with like a big stage show, yeah. and I didn't. I wasn't afraid that we were doing that. I believed yeah. in the music.
0: as Yeah, well.
1: but it's certainly more fun when everyone's running around.
0: Totally like, after this first record, is that when you were saying you were gone six months out of nine months or something like that? Yeah, yeah.
1: It? I think that was probably, I think that was kind of more centered around the second record. I oh, feel okay. like the first record, um, like, once we got the a booking agency involved, like, Monitor signed us and then it was, like, right after that was the booking agency. And yeah. before that, we did a ton of legwork. Yeah. And, I, you know, I talk to bands all the time about the, them struggling and trying to get someplace, and it's I firmly believe it's like if you if you're the hardest worker, things happen and mm. you you have to be you have to like not say no and not take no for an answer at any point and um but so we were working really hard like touring booking ourselves that's like people want to know what attracts labels and booking people it's like doing the shit yourself because you know, if a label sees you doing something yourself or a booking agent sees you booking, you know, oh, like, like Ox has already booked. We had booked a nationwide tour. By the time they came around, we had already booked like three tours right, for ourselves, right, right. including a, a, you know, coast to coast one that was not booked well. And we ended up staying in Portland for a whole week. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, that's like, you know, that's the down payment on things happening yeah. later on. Yeah, so we were working really hard, but, I mean, it didn't seem like work because we were all just, like, fully obsessed. Yeah. So then once the booking agent came in the picture, it just kind of kept going, but I think that, yeah, the peak of it was we probably did six months of touring in a nine-month period, and that's when I started to get pretty burnt Mm. from that. How so? The rewards were not as great, Um it was not like the experiences weren't as special when they were crammed together so much. Mm. I figure I've I've realized that if I'm ever going to tour again or if I ever like go on the road, the the optimum time to be on the road for me is three weeks. Mm. Because at that point, I am. I The whole time I know it's going to be over and I'm savoring it constantly. I'm yeah. not, and then like when it when it is over, I am wishing it was a little longer.
0: Yeah. Because yeah. I
1: just, it's a terrible feeling when you're just like, I just want to go home and use my regular toilet and, right, it doesn't, right, right, right. <laughs> and it doesn't happen. Or you, you know, you get older and you start getting sick and then, I mean, the last the last tour we did was, it was only a couple years ago but it was in Europe and I was, um, got sick on tour and it was like horrible congestion and I just remember, like before shows, I would just be like drinking scotch and eating spoonfuls of the hottest mustard I could find <laughs> to just give me like a, like a 30 minute break in my yeah. sinuses to play. And now, <laughs> I,
0: don't, I don't wanna do that anymore. I feel, I feel. So when did Ox's like, not stop but go on hiatus? Um, I'd say that was like 2005. I think oh, we wow. did,
1: um, we had the first monitor record then the second record which was, yeah. you are on the cover. Yeah. Of it. Um, and all over the, I think you're on the back too, <laughs> probably pulling at my leg. Um, and then there was the third EP, but I think we had already taken a break at that point I, because Nat, um, yeah, yeah. I think we had taken a break in like 2003 or 2004 mm. maybe. And Nat had married, or I don't know if they were married yet, but Nat fell in love with Giovanna when we were in Italy. Um, and so he moved over there. Yeah, and I think he was back briefly. I don't know, but it was it was kind of a decision that was made. I wasn't particularly excited about the band past 2000 and like 2003 or four. I think I was really starting to kind of get over it, mm. and I wanted to do um, or music and. Um, but he was – Nat was going to Italy, so it was like yeah. the de- decision was made. But I definitely feel like I probably pulled back a little before the other guys did. I think they maybe wanted to stay with it a little longer. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think by 2005 – I think maybe we did a tour in 2005, and that was it. That was it until 2008 when we got mm. together and played Wortscape.
0: Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Like when did the first Frenemies come out?
1: Oh, man. That was, like, 2000... No, it was 2003. Because that was yeah. when I was... In 2003, I was touring with Will Oldham. And I think I played with Cass a little oh, bit. And I did a tour with Dave Pajo playing drums on all those things. Um, and then I, th- I think I got the Frenemies in 2003 when I was on tour with Dave. And I, had it, like, I think I had it shipped to San Diego so I could just have a box to give away and sell on yeah. tour and then there was the and then the second record was in 2007.
0: I always wondered what it would be like for your identity or something to make that switch like this group that has this definite like act uh-huh. and like and all that to like I make this pop music. <laughs> well, it was like
1: it wasn't just one it wasn't just that because I was still like rapping. Yeah. at <laughs> I think in the early 2000s yeah. I still would think about I remember being on the f- I thought about this the other day I was on the first oxus tour in Europe, which was probably like two thousand one and I remember like writing raps like on the tour um yeah so it wasn't i've always I've always been like a pretty diverse listener and I've yeah. always been interested in a lot of things so it wasn't i've never I've never jumped into anything any musical endeavor with like this is the guy I am or like the i am yeah I'm, I always talk about when I talk about music. I talk about like genre listeners and like song listeners. Yeah. Too, there's people that listen to genres, and there's other people that can hear a song in any genre. And you know, no one way is right. But there's people that all they listen to is you know they like the the tonality of black metal. Yeah, and that's you know that's great. They like the tonality of this. But I've always been a little more of a song listener. If there's a good song in something. It kind of doesn't matter the clothes it's yeah, gonna wear. So,
0: totally.
1: um, but yeah, I mean, back even when Oxes was going on, I was still writing my own pop songs. I was still writing raps. And yeah. I mean, if you think about Wounds, we went from being a. I mean, the the part of the story of Oxes is like I, in some ways, like stole, or at least Mickey says that I like stole <laughs> Super Bass Quad. <laughs> Because I was just like, I don't want to fuck with, like, I don't want to play in a rock band with you guys anymore because this, I'm in this rock band. At least right. I feel, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Because I definitely did that. I definitely right. was just like, yeah, I'm going to go play with these older kids who are, <laughs> right. are ready to tour. <laughs> well, super, super Bass Quad, by the way, is me and Dan's band with my brother Mickey yeah. and Mike Romano Shields. Um, and then we we're this rock band, and then but we were also writing raps and and playing basketball. Yeah. And then I think I like, and I was like, guys, we're we're a good rock band, but we're a better rap group. Yeah. So let's do that. And I still I stand by that. I still oh, think yeah. we're a better rap group.
0: I think that Mike and Mickey were initially bummed, and I was like, really really excited because I agree that that we were a better <laughs> rap group, even though. Ooh, I, I got a copy of this new Raps Party from Matt Pless the other day. <laughs> uh, and it was not tight. But... Was that the cassette with the yeah. hoodie on it? Oh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it had Black Cherry and what yeah. else?
0: Uh, armored Elephant. <laughs> um, chainsaw Noises. <laughs> and I, I can't remember the other You know, side. I'm
1: pretty sure I gave that tape to Ghostface when I met when I like went to his signing for Supreme Clientele. I'm, oh, that's what's almost up. positive that yes. I tried to like slip it in. I remember that's you and crazy. me making Black Cherry and being like a song with a hook. We did a hook.
0: Or no, that's Heart's Blood. Oh Heart's Blood, sorry, a, that's, sorry. That's, that's, that's the last on the song team. on there. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I felt like like I have no idea what would happen if we just start rapping and <laughs> playing shows. And yeah. there's no like blueprint, but I felt like that's what i wanted to do and it seemed like more exciting uh-huh. so, you know what i mean so
1: yeah and it was it was way more fun for me to like be have you guys all come over after school and just like sit or just have a beat on repeat yeah. and just sit and write and just i don't know it was it was like the fact that we could all be creative in a way that it was not like that in a band where we all had to like, guide... If we were in a band, we all had to, like, guide it. Yeah. And if we're writing raps over a beat, you know, whoever makes the beat made the beat, and then we are our own little empire for yeah. the raps, and we would just sit around around the table, and then we'd go play the neighborhood kids in basketball. And Those were some of the happiest afternoons.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. There was just, like, zero pressure to have it be any certain way, because there was mm-hmm. no... Yeah, yeah, there right was right. no, <laughs> like... I mean, we knew it was it was kind
1: of going to be like Ghostface, but rather right. <laughs> than that, other than sort of being like Ghostface, we didn't know what was going to happen. And the beats were always so different. Some of them yeah. were very strange. Some of them were really bad. Some of them were like <laughs> transcendently amazing for yeah. no reason at all. And like Mike yeah. and I were just—we just, we just you, everything was so new. Like yeah. we just put Mike just got a sampler. I just got a sampler. You know, I was pulling things off of TV shows and blah, blah. Yeah, it was like, it was far more exciting. The creative process of Wounds was like so much more exciting than the creative process. You probably even have Oxes because like I knew what I was doing at that point. I was like, I'm playing the drums. These things are going to happen. We're making rock music. The song's going to be about this long. But writing raps with you guys is, you know, I mean, saying that like Oxes had very few role models in Baltimore, like Wounds had... Zero.
0: Zero. Yeah, Yeah, zero. One thing you mentioned that I wanted to ask more about. I sort of like forgot about this part of your life, but you as this hired gun kind of on all these other records and Mm -hmm. tours and stuff. Yeah, just
1: tours. I I haven't played too much. I play on people's records that need me now. Yeah. But I, I don't think I did any studio work at that time.
0: Oh, that's right. I thought you played on on like Will Oldham's record or no, something. No, I was
1: like I, Will asked me to play on a record and then he rescinded that invitation.
0: But like what 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 was that like touring with him?
1: Oh, uh Will was to this day he's one of the greatest teachers I've ever had. It mm. was it was like when we when we met and like started working together, I was 23 and he was 33, and I'm 36 now, but to being a 23 year old and looking at a 33 year old, who's like made a pretty good career for themselves. He seemed like, you know, at a, he definitely seemed like he was on some level. And I mean, his his talent is obvious. Yeah. Such a great writer. Um, And he was an experienced guy who had been around and he, you know, he put me in a lot of really good situations. He introduced me to a lot of great people that I'm still friends with to this day. he, you know I he fed me sushi for the first time, which doesn't seem like much, but <laughs> i mean, but it was a big deal. He put me on a surfboard for the first time, like right. you know we were in San Diego and going to the beach, and I knew he surfed and I was like, hey, I have never surfed before and he rented rented me a surfboard, rented me a wetsuit, and you know told me to go play yeah and he he was great he was really great at creating a space and a and a feeling, and he was—he was really strange guy. But he brought—he—he he brought some like really, I'm not gonna say like regular or normal people together, but just like, just like good like salt of the earth people, really reliable, good, good-hearted, fun people. Like they were always around him. He the his bands were just like. You know, I mean, I can't say any better than that. Just like good, good, solid people that were that that you really wanted to be around, yeah. And smart people, and people who had been through different experiences, and you know, just like camp, good campfire people, I would say. And we definitely sat around our share of campfires. And he knew how to tour in a way that made it fun. And he had been through it enough, and he had the he had enough cachet that he could you know we did one tour it was just like this is the this is the deserts and mountains tour we're just touring the southwest and you know i guess up to washington or whatever but you know we're we're not trying to make a ton of money we're playing in like taos and flagstaff and spokane and you know we played in we <laughs> we played in a lot of like you know you know he could go to seattle and make a mint but he yeah. wanted to Go to Taos and, yeah. and do the thing. And, you know, right before the tour, he put a book in my hand. It, it was it was like, I think it was called like the Bible of hot, of Southwestern Hot Springs. And he was like, you're the water marshal. Every day <laughs> you're going to tell us what hot spring is on the way from, you know, blah, 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 to blah, blah, blah. And then we're going to go and get in the hot spring before the show. Yeah. And it, I mean, you know, that sticks with you. That's a... <laughs> That's something I still think about frequently and it was great to, I mean, most bands touring life is get in the car, hope the car makes it to the show. And then if you get to the show early, maybe you can like walk around the block that mm. the show was on. But yeah. he, he did a great job cultivating his experience. Um, so it was, is there like a good experience for everyone that everyone could like, you know, bite into and oh, enjoy. Wow. So that, that was educational. I don't, yeah. I always figured that if I had a career like his, I would probably pattern it. If I had the if I had the chance to have a career like his, I would have wanted to probably carry it the way that he did.
0: And What was like say like Dave Pajo? What was that tour like? That you know that was kind of a dark. That was a
1: dark time. Even though mm. I really I really like Dave. I still you know every time he comes around, it's like you know the years he's just like a really good dude to hang around yeah. with and just like down to earth and um very funny very funny guy but that, that was a dark tour the um bass player it was just me dave and Paz, um the bass player who's in i didn't know her before this but she was in a perfect circle it was like a tool side band and i think she played with guy blakesley at some point but i don't oh, know really? if that's still going on An entrance. Um, but she like her brother committed suicide like right before the tour. So mm. it was this it, it was like right before the tour to the point right. where I really thought it was going to get canceled and then when it didn't it was, you know, we had a we had a pretty good time but there was like a you know, there was a very clear cast over the tour yeah, a long this very long shadow even though um the, the people were great, and it was a good crew. It was, it was only one tour, but that was, yeah, that, that, was, that was tough. It
0: would have been nice to do it again, but, but uh, yeah. Was there a point where you decided, like, the constant road mission is not the look anymore?
1: Um, I think, well, I mean, Ox's was the main thing. You know, it, it, if it was different with Will... I might still be doing it from time oh, to time. Uh, I yeah, mean, yeah. I still <laughs> It's funny when it, whenever like Oxes gets together um and we play, it's always so much fun until I pack up. Like until I pack up my drums, I'm just like, "Why don't I do this all the time? Why isn't this what I'm into?" And just like it's for some reason like packing up gear, putting it in a car, taking it out of a car and putting it on a stage and then breaking it down and putting it back in a car and then putting it someplace else. Doing that, that used to be like an honor. Right. To do the, the idea that I could like fold up a drum stand and put it someplace where it wasn't an hour ago was right. like, thank, thank you, God. Like yeah. it was such an honor to do that. Um, and now it just makes me crazy. Mm. And also, I mean, I've spent so much time in the studio that I've and I've heard a lot of bad live. Sounding stuff so i'm not in a rush to i don't know i'm just not in a rush to like to do i mean it's a lot of reasons but you know club could sound bad and um but yeah i mean i think i would still do it from time to time but it's diminishing returns i when this all started mickey and i were having an interesting conversation the other day about um about like Create like your draw your creativity. Like, if your creativity is an engine, we we're talking about the fuel. I, I think I messed this up, but like, there's I had this like deep seated neediness, like a neediness for intention for attention. Yeah. It was a huge, I I was creative and I had things that needed to be expressed, but. The neediness was like pushing the car as much as anything else. Like to this day, I'm still creative and I still express, I still write and I still make music. Yeah, but I don't need to share it
0: right in the right, same right. like
1: if if I like drop a song on Facebook and like my man's in them listens to it, and they're like, good job. It's like, that's all fine. I don't need everyone to know what's up with Chris Freeland in the way that I did before. Hmm. And it's, I mean, it's just sort of a different, it's a different equation. Like, the the I used to really want everyone to be like, yeah, good job, you're the shit, blah, blah, blah. Right. And now it doesn't matter. I mean, there's a, there's like a tipping point in the touring experience where it's like, I don't need one other person to say, Good job, you guys are great. Right. Like, right. I what I need is like a f- real friendship. Yeah. And that that was like that. That's when it started to dry up. When I got to that point where I'm just like, I don't. This the drug of like being recognized or being like applauded has worn off. Yeah. To yeah. to the degree where and it doesn't doesn't stop the need to make. The right. need to make is still there, right. but the need to share is greatly diminished, mm. if that makes sense. I hope that wasn't too convoluted. No,
0: no. Was that a hard thing to accept? Because it's a big change in how you see the world. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I
1: realized I was not going to be a professional musician when I was 30. And it was it was as painful as you know, almost anything I've ever been through. Because those, you know, I said it before, dreams sustain you. Yeah. And I thought you know, I th- I thought I could do it. I thought I was talented enough for it, but I r- didn't think my makeup. I didn't think my I I had spent too much of my neediness at that point to to mm. have a career anymore. Right. Because right. it didn't it didn't matter to me as much. Yeah. Uh, my 30th birthday, I had a basically a panic attack the week of my 30th birthday. Mm. Um I was on tour backing up my friend Steve playing the drums in California. And that's just like, and that there, it was sort of this panic attack was sort of building inside me for a long time where I would just like every now and then get real dizzy and have to sit down. Mm. And then eventually we were in California and I just had this full blown, like hyperventilating thing. And it was just my life, my life telling myself that I was going to be this musician butting up against my life that really didn't want everything that came with that. Like, I want, I would still love, I would love to make a piece of music and be able to share it, have the, you know, the infrastructure and to share it with a ton of people right away. And that, I mean, that's really what, at the end of the day, what you get when you have a good music career. You've got people who are ready to hear you. And I still want that. Yeah. But I knew that I could not take more touring or more, you know, Leading with somebody or just like the constant process of like, what are you looking at? Look at me. Don't look over there. Look at me. Right, right. I'm what's going on right now. Yeah. Don't look at, what are you doing? <laughs> Dan, look at me. I'm what's up right now. Yeah. And I, di- I didn't have that anymore. And it was, you know, it's painful because you, you know, you need, you need it to a degree. Right. right. I think that happened like around my March of when I was 30. And then I think that summer... Was the first time I had rec- I recorded a couple bands. Yeah, that was when I got I got like the computer and the Pro Tools, and I finally had enough mics where I was just like, I can kind of do this for yeah. cheap, and it'll be worth it. And by the time I started having bands come in, I had been doing live sound at the Talking Head for at least two or three years. Oh yeah, and I got I established like trust with some people, which was great because they shouldn't have trusted me in the studio because I didn't know, like I didn't know anything about reverb period like hmm. period i didn't know anything about reverb because i would just be in the talking head and be like it sounds good in here <laughs> right, right, right right and who were the
0: first bands you did in the new uh, studio
1: um the first band i was was called thrust lab oh yeah and then awesome. it was i can't, i wish i could remember the name of this band it was dave Prismer's band they just did a couple songs they were a trio and they were really good and but um but then pretty quickly it was like Small Sir, and Why Oak was in Before Too Long, um, and Lower Dens was Before Too Long. I, I, I got very fortunate knowing, if, knowing some people from doing live sound. Yeah. Um, because that, I mean, the first Lower Dens record is, like, you know, people, I barely knew what I was doing, and I maybe get more work from that record than any other record. Mm. Or people being like, "That's our favorite record." Blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, what else was really early on? Beard, bunch of stuff. I can't remember it yeah, all. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But was was it like a learning process, kind of of like, you know, becoming this new guy, like the the studio guy, instead of like like a guy in a band or something. Like the oh. way you relate to the other people.
1: Uh, I feel like I was. I was at an advantage in that sense. I, f- I felt like I actually remember the, the very first weekend I did a band in my parents' basement, and I came upstairs, the band left, and I came upstairs and I talked to my folks, and I was like, "This, is, this could really be good for me. I could really do I could really do this. Like I yeah. felt even back then, I was like, "My personality is really good for this job. Like who, who I am naturally is really fit doing studio work mm. like I'm really patient I'm calm I'm positive I like a lot of I like a lot of different music Yeah, and I see you know I can see the good I can see what's interesting in almost any piece of music if if a, if a piece of music has like a glimmer in it that's interesting I'm going to like enjoy it yeah <laughs> yeah and not hate it for the 99% of it that isn't working yeah so there, there's a, lo- a lot of ways that I that I felt like it was right. And I also had... It was great experience to be in a band and to be in different studios and know... I, I know how much it means to a band. I know how afraid they are. I know how much they want to be perfect because right. I am... Even though I am not going to be a professional musician, I know how hot the dream burns. Right. And... My dream is to make, you know, great records yeah. for these people. And I want to s I want to like midwife the very best version of their record out of them and make the most comfortable place to do it. And I'm, you know, it's very exciting for me to, you know, be around young bands that are excited and they're coalescing and they're going places. And I, I want to be the next. I always want to be, like, the next step in wherever they go.
0: Yeah, yeah. Not to play favorites, but uh-huh. what are some of your favorite records <laughs> that you've done? Well, I've done—I'll say just
1: very recently, I feel like a few— and these are—my um, the my favorite things that have come out recently have been— and they've all come out very recently—is— I guess the horse, the horse lords record LP is oh, yeah, yeah. hidden cities, which I named Surf Guns, but they didn't use, even though I drew a really <laughs> cool cover of a, a, of a revolver riding a surfboard. Um, but that record, I I am just so happy with that record because we had of like we had a really clear vision sonically. A lot of times you, a lot of times there's not a ton of like sonic Vision, it's like it's gonna sound like this yeah but we knew everyone sort of knew like from the jump we all wanted the exact same thing it's like we Mm. want i think the thing we kept saying was close but not claustrophobic and that's and i feel that's exactly how it turned out it's a really close sounding record the guitars are close the snare drums up in your face the kick drums like right the everything is like it's flat, but it's not, I don't know. It's flat, but it's like incredibly detailed. I, I love that record and I really love Me working too. with them. And um, just this Wild Honey record just came out that I'm super proud of. Um, that was really fun. It was warm outside and everyone was smiling and happy. And and it was so many guitars. I was I was very happy to make like, I, you know, I, like many people, love that My Bloody Valentine record, the Loveless record. Yeah. And I know that they, that was like a big touchstone for them and yeah. My Bloody Valentine and a lot of noisy stuff in general. And it was one of the noisier records I've ever made, but I was excited to get to make a record that was so vast. But, and still like, because they're a great pop band. They're a great songwriting band with good, like, their bass player is fantastic. Alan is is like kind of the secret weapon of Mm. that band in a lot of ways so it's like a really cool groovy record with these vast guitar landscapes with you know i mean up to 10 guitars per song yeah and and it turned out it turned out great and i that and i love that record largely because i felt like it could have collapsed. It was like a house of cards, like all these reverb choice and all, there were, there were so many more decisions to make on that record than any other. And any one of them could have let the whole thing implode. Um, But it didn't. Yeah. Uh, So that, uh, Horse Lords, um, the new Lower Den's record is the single just came out. And I, I heard that, the single sounds amazing. I heard. I got to hear the whole record. I didn't mix the record. Chris Cody did. You tracked it. I tracked it. Cool. Um In a very like, we took a very torrid pace. It was like the longest. I think we worked every day for two weeks. Like ten hour days every day. Mm. Like eating, eating a sandwich while standing up. It was just like everyone <laughs> working all the time. Yeah. It was like it was almost like when the boss comes in and everyone pretends to work, but it was like that for (laughs) a sustained pace. And like,
0: like, why just doing all these? We had so much to do. It
1: was. I mean, I'm not going to get too much into it, but like, they they had a bunch of unfortunate things happen in the in the timeline of the Mm. record. There was one point where they thought that they were going to come in for six weeks and we were going to make the record, and we're like. I was like, "That's heaven. That's really wonderful. Yeah. We'll have a good pace." And then, basically, I think the label wanted them to go someplace else, or like all this stuff went on. And basically, long story short, we went from like great six weeks to make a record to two weeks. Yeah, and then it was just there was just so much to do. I mean, we didn't do it all. I think they did some keyboards, and I think they did the vocals elsewhere. But that those are four of the very best musicians in a room with like four musicians who were just great. Yeah. They're I mean, I can't I can't say enough about them. Yeah. Walker Terrett is one I mean, he's a friend of mine. He's one of the most talented, all around talented people hmm. there is. Yeah, yeah. Um and the this the last record just came out two days ago, Zane Campbell's um Miraculous Country record, which Walker also played on. Um and this everyone should hear this record. Zane Campbell, he's from this I don't know a lot about Appalachian folk, but he's from this famous folk family, um, Appalachian folk family, and he is just a great songwriter, like an unbelievable songwriter, and he has a -a once-in-a-lifetime country voice, and that record was all in the same room, everyone live, like he's singing and playing guitar live, Walker played the bass, there's a Susan Alcorn on the pedal steel, who's such a phenomenal player, and... um, Oh... Anna, I can't remember Anna's last name. She played the fiddle, but hmm. just a really great songs and and just a good vibe. Like, yeah. Every, like a lot of laughing and a lot of ball-busting. One of the more ball-busting sessions. Oh, but, that's all. Right. But, yeah, really good time.
0: Ooh, man. Well, I guess that kind of brings us up to present day. Is here, it- we are, here we are <laughs> in the
1: moment. Let's go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, my man. Through. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was or, my treat. Is there anything else you want to mention for the future? Oh, I want to mention for the future that um
1: most don't know this, but I either me or I think I named Height. I think I I'm pretty sure I named you Height during a badminton game. You and Mickey. It was me and Mickey. Yeah. Okay. It was a I think it was a co authoring. But I, I if, if I didn't do it, I was at least there. It was a badminton game and um yes, you were
0: Eight. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. This is a real treat. All right. Thank you so much to Chris. We'll see you next week.